Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod today is February 25th. The market has been sliding a little bit. But this happens, guys. This happens all the time. The only normal thing is volatility. What's going on, Simon? How you feeling? I'm feeling better. I'm recovering from that injury. Uh, slowly getting back to normal, and I'm optimistic that'll be good to go when spring opens up, and uh, hopefully everything opens up and the weather is nice. But uh, yeah, lots of stuff to to talk about today on the investment front. Should be interesting. It's kind of turning seasons, right? So uh, it's always a fun time of the yes, year. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk about that because the Canadian banks just reported they went six for six on beating estimates. I don't know about the other four, but I looked briefly at the reports for Royal and TD, and they both had year-over-year year, uh, comp profit growth of 10%, both of them. So, And provisions were down across the board on all of them. I don't know if you looked at these reports yet. Like Most of them came out in like the last couple hours. So, uh, yeah, it looks like they all did pretty well. I mean, when you throw provisions way down, throw earnings way up, it looks pretty good. Um, is the economy thriving no probably not uh but man housing is freaking hot i I, i'm speaking for toronto and ontario but housing is absolutely bonkers these days yeah it's gotta be good yeah, I mean, uh, no, I think I, I haven't looked into detail about the bank earnings, uh, mostly because I don't own any banks uh, anymore, like I've mentioned before. Um, I'm I'm not surprised, per se, with all the, uh, you know, the CERB, uh, with the benefits for uh, for the pandemic. It's allowing people to make ends meet. Um, I'd be interested in seeing the most recent data from the Bank of Canada, because they came out in November with the uh, amount of debt that was deferred for mortgages, credit cards, and so on for all the different type of loans. Um, I looked it up yesterday and I couldn't find anything more recent. So that is the one thing I would keep an eye on it if uh, if you own banks, uh, just to get an idea, because that can definitely skew the data. But I mean, you'd have to think the banks are taking that into consideration as well. So, uh, but yeah, definitely a, a good day if you're owning a, you're a bank stock owner, which probably a lot of our listeners are because Canadians do love their banks, right? They certainly do. And it's be the only thing that's been performing well right now. The Nasdaq's getting absolutely slapped. But I mean, again, you know what this podcast is about? Take a wider view. You know, something that's down 10% this week. You know, people are quick to uh, complain about that. And the stock's up like 150% trailing 12 months. So, I mean, we've got to peel back some of these expectations and recognize that volatility is very normal and we will see it now we'll continue to see it and we'll see it again um okay so we talked about canadian banks uh they all can't hike their dividend i I haven't been following canadian banks that much i gotta be honest but i don't know if you knew about this the federal regulator isn't allowing buybacks and dividend hikes basically since last march i i guess because of the pandemic but really i don't know if i thought that was just a u.s thing uh, since no. the financial crisis. Okay, that's no. interesting. I, I, I don't know if it's since March, but like, 
it, right now they're on pause. And I follow Equitable Bank, like EQB, and they report, uh, reported some good results as well. And they're like, yeah, we want to increase the dividend, but we can't right now until we have clearance from the regulators. Anyways, we're not bank guys, so if you want to hear about bank stocks, uh, this is bad. The Canadian investor <laughs> probably has a lot of bank stock investors listening, but uh, that's okay. Uh, GFL, which is backwards, is LFG. I'm just going to tell you that. Reported uh, 37%. Revenue growth, good uh, guidance moving forward, not earth-shattering growth moving forward, but good growth, acquisition growth, uh, EBITDA is going to be solid, and I like this business for a couple reasons. It has a lot of tailwinds, but it's an owner-operated business, and I like that, man. I, I like founders leading the business, as many people do. And GFL is a good example of that. He's he's uh, he's doing well, man. And that short report came out like right when they IPO'd. That was total crap. Um, so I like the stock. I bought more, and uh, GFL's rolling. Uh, should I go on to another one here? We got Trade Desk. Late last week, they did forty eight percent revenue growth. Okay, so connect connected TV, the advertising for the Trade Desk is absolutely massive and i missed the connected tv roku story i still don't believe that has a moat but i know a lot of really really smart people that do and i've been just like so dead wrong on that but i think the trade desk has a lot of room to grow in in connected tv but like i use roku has to be the one thing that i use every day and i still don't understand the moat yeah i mean I actually know, like, and I used to think like you, and the reason why I think Roku has done a really amazing job is because they don't really have a kind of skin in the game as compared to uh, Google, Amazon, or, um, you know, all the big streaming platforms. So they really are a bit kind of an independent platform where you can put all of your streaming services all at once. It's the only thing we could find where we could have uh, our account for Crave TV, we could have our account for YouTube, we could have our account for Amazon, Apple TV all at once. Um, And I think that's a big reason why people actually actually like Roku and that's why we got it we actually got that device specifically because we couldn't God get um, Apple TV to our TV without plugging our laptop because we don't have uh, Apple devices uh, when it comes to laptop and stuff so um, it was either that or the uh, I guess Apple TV that you kind of plug in um, so that's the reason and I think they've done pretty well because of that because you have the other big players that are kind of making sure that their competitor is hard to add to their platform right. or just doesn't let them do it right and then they're getting revenue out of advertising from there. So, I mean, I was totally like you, but uh, the more I was thinking about it earlier this year, the more I thought that uh, Roku is actually a pretty good play because they, I don't know if they lose money on the soft, on the uh, hardware itself, but, uh, you know, even if they do, they have a pretty good business model, it seems like. Yeah, it is pretty good. And they, like a lot of the smart TVs you'll buy. So I don't know if you know a brand called TCL. It's the number one selling uh, TV on Amazon because it has really good specs for the price. Like in terms of bang for your buck, this Chinese-made TV is really solid and they're flying off the shelves at Amazon. And they come 
with the Roku OS built in. Like TCL sells their their TVs where the operating system of the smart TV is Roku. So you, you have it right then and there. And then you're just kind of in, in their ecosystem because it's the, it's the operating system. And anytime that happens, there's a moat being built. And so I, I just guess I've been, I don't know if I want to say I've been wrong because sometimes price narrative drives a different narrative that might be separated from the business. But this is one that's, I've been wrong on both, both sides of the the story, but connected TV has more legs than I expected. And that's why I own some, a very small position in the trade desk. And this business is incredible. Like, wow. And, and Roku seems so under, under monetized still. Yeah. Um, so I think the trade desk is, is going to be big. Yeah, I mean, for Roku, you're not the only one. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that. And, uh, you know, if you invest in Roku a few years ago, good for you because it's done really well. It's done incredible. All right, moving on. Autodesk just reported results. Like my phone went off like four seconds ago that they just reported results. But they did acquire Innovise, which is a water software uh, firm for $1 billion in cash. It looks like on the notification I got that Autodesk just beat uh, estimates by quite a bit. Uh, not that I care about estimates too much, but uh, next episode I can <laughs> I can talk about Autodesk. Um, Simon, you're going to talk about uh, the RSP deadline coming up. Yeah, just a PSA. So uh, you guys, by the time that you hear this, there will not be a lot of time left for you to uh, it's gonna to make be the contributions. Last day, right? Yeah, it's going to be the last day. So Monday, March first, twenty twenty one, is the okay, last so day. Okay, so if you're reading, if you're listening to this right now, today is the last day to exactly. contribute to your RSP. Um, so yeah, it's March 1st, 2021. Uh, why does it matter? Because it's the last day where you can actually contribute to an RSP and then apply it to the previous calendar year. So a lot of people do do that. It's it's probably your, a lot of people are most likely already aware of this. It's plastered everywhere with the banks and so on. Um, just keep in mind, though, sometimes there are processing delays. Uh, if you're transferring money from a bank account to a brokerage platform, I think I got an alert from Questrade saying that uh, it had to be done either today or tomorrow to be able to, to meet the deadline if you were doing like a pay bill uh, type of deal. So just keep that in mind because if you do it on Monday, it's possible it'll be too late. Uh, but if you're like with TD and TD Direct Investing, I'm assuming I'll probably be able to do it the same day. Anyway, just make sure you do your due diligence with your financial institution if that's the case. Um, but if not, you know, if you just want to apply it to the 2021 calendar year, then just forget about that deadline. It really doesn't matter. So um, if yeah, you just a- if you make the if you make the bill payment like I'm speaking in the future, like today when we drop this episode, that still is allowed. I think I don't. Uh, oh, I mean, I should not. Be, I don't know that. Yeah, I, I shouldn't no, be saying so that. That'd be terrible. Don't listen to Braden. <laughs> <laughs> just check. Just check. I know Quest rates send in some uh, some things. So if you're paying, uh, doing a paying a bill. Um, to send money to Questrade, I think you have to do it either today or tomorrow. So make sure you do your due diligence with whichever platform you're with, um, if that's your goal. Uh, because you know, even if you do it on March 1st, it's possible that it won't be processed on that day, and you will not be able to apply it. So, uh, right. but 
the deadline is still March 1st. Um, so now um, I'll go on for a couple of earnings on my own. So the one that I'm sure people are kind of looking at, I've talked about this company before, Teladoc. So they had really impressive results. So they had 75% organic growth. Uh, their revenues doubled year over year when you factor in the acquisitions that they did. Uh, they had a couple of big acquisitions. One of them obviously was the Livongo Help acquisition or if you want to call it merger or whatever um the they launch a new primary care platform primary 360 which uh, seems to be getting a lot of uptick um, i listened to part of the conference call earlier today um, the gross margins are still really strong at 67 percent um they really continue they in terms of their guidance, um, they see continued strong adoption even once the uh, pandemic is over, uh, just because people are now used to that service and they really realize how convenient it is, but also the cost savings associated with that. Um, the the one thing that I'm happy that they talked about on the conference call is their, um, they had negative free cash flow for 2020. Uh, 2020. Um, they also had a lot of expenses in the last quarter of last year, but most of it was related to the merger or the acquisition with Livongo. So that's one of the things that kind of I had a bit of a, a flag when I saw that. Uh, however, I'll still keep an eye on it because I want that to normalize and get them back to the uh, being free cash flow positive uh, but I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt personally and uh, the, the revenue they're projecting uh, 1.95 to 2 billion for 2021 in revenue so uh, another double so it'll be interesting how that uh, that goes forward I mean they're still valued very expensively uh, just at the 2020 revenues um, they're valued at about 35 times sales so they're still not a cheap stock Talk, but um, you know, seems like they're firing on all cylinders, and I know I'm not uh, planning to uh, to sell my shares anytime soon. So, yeah, any comment on that? What, Brandon? No, but I think it the topic that I'm talking about at the last part I think is important for you because if you want serious serious gains, like life changing gains on some sort of business, you gotta hold on. And this is one that there's just really no reason to do anything here. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the tailwinds are still there for years to come. So, um, exactly. Yeah. So the next one I wanted to talk fairly quickly, and we can probably do a deeper dive down the line. But uh, a lot of people have been talking about Cloud MD, which is uh, the ticker is Doc on the uh, Toronto Venture Exchange. Um, so a lot of people were asking, you know, is it worthwhile? How does it compare to WellHealth? How does it compare to Teladoc? And I think you guys already know what we thought about WellHealth. Um, just basically, it's uh, a telehealth slash clinic play. The gross margins just going on memory. They really were, I think they were around the 30, 35% range. Uh, they were still losing money, just kind of an acquisition story. Um, very highly valued and cloud md is kind of similar when it comes to that so uh it's still a very small company uh, it's trading extremely expensive 50 times sales um they have 42 percent gross margin 
same thing it's an acquisition story kind of growing that way um, they also have a kind of agreement with pharmacies in western canada where people can see a doctor with certain pharmacies but that's solely located in western canada um, my main issue with cloud md it, it is a telehealth play mostly um, it's just because they feel like a tiny player in that field in Canada. And the reason I say they feel like a tiny player because um, there's two big companies that are private, so we don't have their financials, we don't have their full numbers, but just based on how present they are in various employers dealing with them, um, I know, Brayden, you, I think your company uses Maple, right? That is correct. Yeah, and they're backed by Loblaws, so um, let's just, you know, they're backed by a pretty significant player. Loblaws has a pretty decent stake in them. Um, and then Dialogue's another one that we use at my work, and they're backed by that La Caisse de Dépôt de Placement du Québec, which is a provincial investing arm of the Quebec government. And then you also have TELUS Health, which is obviously TELUS, that has started last year, I believe, was the first year where they had the telemedicine available. And we all know that TELUS is a very solid company that produces a lot of cash flow. So all that to say that you have to be careful with these small players in that field, especially when you're looking at these companies that are like they have significant financial resources behind them. So, you know, maybe CloudMD, maybe WellHealth will end up being the big winners in that field. But Personally, if I had to bet in Canada for the telehealth space, uh, those are not the bets I'd be making, especially when it's trading at such a high valuation. Um, in my mind, and I could be completely wrong, the main way you'll probably make money on this investment is um, either kind of the kind of bubble kind of continues or they get acquired by a bigger player. Um, those are the two main ways because it just, I don't know. I just don't feel like they have the financial resources to be able to compete with those other players. What do you, what do you think about that, Braden? Yeah, I just don't know. I, at the current prices of, of well health and, and doc.v, which, what is it? Cloud MD. Cloud um, MD, yeah. I just don't know how you make your money back at these, at these prices because, if so, if I'm paying fifty times sales for something, I want a good business. Like I want a really good business. If I'm paying fifty times sales, give me Shopify. Don't give me a company that does eighty percent of their revenues from in-person clinics with a total addressable market of just Canada. Like I'm just not interested. Uh, I don't know how you get your money back. We could be wrong, but I don't think we are. And there's another one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given um, was go for the best in breed. And when it comes to competitors, like think of how much outsized capital these two companies are getting, Well and, and CloudMD, because they're the public ones. You know, like what if Maple? IPO like what would those be valued I just don't I just don't know that answer but are they the best company in the space like probably not I just don't know why people are so eager to pay up for a company that does 80% of their revenues for in-person clinics like yeah like it's just like it's not even it's not even sexy like how's it getting these kinds of multiples and I get it they're making acquisitions and I, and sure, 
whatever. But the total addressable market is still Canada based on all of the uh, prospectus and, and presentations I've read from these two companies. And again, I'm yeah. not an expert on either of them. But they, they talk good about... Luck. Yeah, well, they talk about gaining a, a market share in Canada. It doesn't mention anything else. So it's just like if I'm paying 50 times sales, I need a big total adjustable market if I'm going to make my money back. And I need yeah, a exactly. good company yeah, with and, good margins. Ugh, like, oh, man, it, these are terrible. And if even if they thought about expanding in the U.S., you know, I, I think I'm going to bet on Teladoc just, you know, winning that market over any of these two companies so it's just keep that in mind i know the allure of a low stock price and i'm not talking valuations here the pure dollar cost of one share it can be really strong and doc md uh sorry web and cloud md is uh, web md that's the one that you like you you look up you have a cough and you have cancer that's web md exactly uh no but cloud md i mean and well help i just uh you know i I have I really just have a hard time seeing where it can go and I know the allure of that like 252 a share I think it is right now for cloud MD I know it's uh, can be really tempting because mentally I think the human brain will think about it like oh it's only you know if it doubles to five dollars I'm double my money but that's when it comes to important to doing your due diligence and looking at the actual valuation and when you look at that and they're just not making a lot of money and they're, they're burning quite a bit of cash compared to that too so you know if you're interested in it by all means it's your money but um, just be aware of what you're getting into yeah that's a good point too like the this the whole like investor psychology and why companies split their share prices because you think that you're getting like a better price or what feels good to be able to order a lot of a hundred of something versus like if you buy google stock for two thousand u.s dollars you're like get one share and like that's two thousand U.S. dollars is not like that's a good contribution to a TFSA or something, right? Like that's not a meaningless amount. But oh, it's only one share. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, one share of Google does seven hundred and fifty U.S. dollars in revenue. Like one share, seven hundred and fifty USDs. Uh, last time I checked. So this is just silly investor psychology, right? And the. When we say a stock's expensive, we do not mean the share price. We do not mean the share price. It's like when I bought my Amazon share recently, three three k a share. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you've like or like when you buy like Constellation Software stock, which is like seventeen hundred Canadian. You're like, oh, I got one share, sweet. Like you don't feel good about that, do you? But I mean, that doesn't matter. It does not matter. Exactly. Yeah. So, on okay, to our on next topic. One? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm going to do the last topic for this show, which is lessons from 100 Baggers. So, 100 Baggers is a book written by Chris Meyer, and I've talked about lots of, recently as I was reading it, lots of different important topics, like the twin engines and stuff like that. Uh, Chris Meyer wrote this book, and I wanted to talk about the takeaways. I got one, two, three, four, I got like seven takeaways here of what makes up an 100 bagger. So the reason that the book is called 100 baggers, stocks that return 100 to 1, is because Peter Lynch coined the very famous term 10 bagger, which means 
you know, you invest a stock in a stock and it you ten times your money. It make the company becomes ten times more valuable than when you when you bought it. That's a that's a ten bagger. Now, what about something even crazier, which is a hundred baggers, you know, like the super uber successful stories like the Amazons when they went public and the Apples when they went public or the Monster Beverage Corp, even like Domino's Pizza. Like it doesn't have to be in any specific industry, but there is a couple things that are common between these companies. And uh, so here they are. First off, you just need growth. You need sustained growth over decades, sometimes multiple decades, but you need growth. You need revenue growth. You need a company that's growing. You can't get an 100 bagger from cigar, a cigarette butt investing, you know, trying to get that last puff before it might be gone or, or even just trying to find some deep value play that, you know, it's trading for six bucks, but you think it's worth 16 bucks and you're going to exit at 16 bucks. You know, that's, you're making a good return on that. Sure. But it's, it's not in a hundred bagger. So you need sustained growth. Okay. That's one multiple expansion is important. That's number two. So that's, that's the twin engines right there. You got the companies growing, but the multiple is growing like the price to earnings, the price to sales, the price to free cash flow. These are just basic valuation multiples, but as they expand, you know, this, this matters. The classic example I always use about is like 2015, Apple traded for like 12 times earnings. Like the PE was low double digits. And now it's what, like 35? I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's high, right? So it's demanding a much higher multiple for the earnings that it produces. That multiple expansion gives you stellar returns. Um, starting small. So he points out that in 100 baggers, you probably need a small company to begin with. You know, find the chances that Apple at $2 trillion becomes a 100 bagger from here, probably pretty small, uh, maybe, maybe impossible given the total GDP of the, of the planet. So it's not saying that you can't get stellar returns. You know, I, I think right now big U.S. tech provides one of the best risk-reward opportunities out in the market today. I, I truly believe that. But do I think they're going to be 100 baggers? No, probably not. But are they exceptional companies with still really long runways of growth? Yes. But probably you need to start a little smaller. All right. High median return on invested capital and return on equity matters. It's a good indication of the business model and management's ability to invest back in the business and continue to compound for you. This matters. All right. Good gross margins. So, Simon, how many times do we talk about gross margins on this podcast? Like literally probably five to 10 times per episode. And the reason for that is it describes good unit economics for the business. So a company that has really high gross margins, like the Autodesk, for instance, a company I love, has 90% gross margins, meaning a lot of it is flowing through. They have low cost of goods sold and the scalability of the company they can grow without having to actually uh, have higher input costs and higher cost of goods sold. 
And it makes a big difference because then you're going to flow more through the income statement and eventually, hopefully, to free cash flow. Owner operators. So I talked about GFL earlier. That's a founder-led business. So people talk about owner operators, founder-led. These are fancy finance bro talk for companies that are being run by the person who started them or at least like the family who started them. There's lots of good success stories of even handoffs happening to the next generation and the you know the son or daughter taking the business, you know, 100x from its current stat status, uh, you know, taking it over from the grandparents. But what's essential here and what matters is the owner operator has a lot of skin in the game. So if the CEO Maybe they're not, you know, first generation of the business or started the business, but they, if they have a lot of stake in the business, this matters. I'm getting tons of questions about Eng House lately because the stock just keeps falling after delivering 50% revenue growth last year. Like this, it's just sometimes stocks just fall out of favor. Am I, do, am I selling the stock? Absolutely not. They produced a great year. And the reason why I, believe in Steven Sadler is not only has he been with the company since like 99 or 97 he's the CEO but he owns 400 million dollars in the stock 400 million dollars and people are like oh but I keep seeing him sell some shares I'm like yeah he owns like such a sizable part of the business he owns like 400 million of 3 billion in market cap so if he sells a couple shares, I mean, he's got to de-risk his own personal portfolio. So don't worry about that. The guy owns $400 million in stock. So these things matter. The incentives matter. He is incentivized to make good capital allocation decisions. And uh, I'm a big fan of that. All right. The most important part of 100 baggers is you have to hold on to winners. Selling winners and buying losers is like cutting the flowers and watering the weeds. You got to hold on to your winners. And that's pretty much it. Uh, that's Those are the takeaways from 100 baggers. I mean, assuming that every stock you own is going to become a 100 bagger, you're setting yourself up for some, uh, <laughs> for some bad expectations. But it can happen, guys. It really can happen. And these are some of the things that you might want to look at. Uh, and so these are important. Sustained growth is important. And you got to hang on because there's going to be volatility through, the, through that whole process. The amount of times that Apple has like halved its value as a time as a public company, like more than 10, I think. I think like 12 times Apple's halved its value. Someone fact check me on that. But I, I posted a, th a thing on our, uh, the Stratosphere community about that the other day. It is absurd how much volatility along the way that you're going to have to deal with. But if the business is intact, don't sell. Sometimes they're going to look overvalued at times. Just hang on. Hashtag never sell is my uh, recommendation. So that's it from 100 Baggers there, Simon. Yeah. No, these are all great concepts. And uh, yeah, definitely have to hold on to your winners. And that's... 
that's one of the big advantages of not being an investment manager or anything like that. When you're an individual investor, you can actually, you know, you don't have to sell. Obviously, you know, you may get into a situation where if you're really stressed out, you may want to consider trimming a little bit under certain circumstances where you might have no choice. You need, you know, something happens in your life and you need extra cash um, because it's not covered enough by your emergency fund you know those are all things that you have to consider but whenever possible you should try not to sell because that's when that's really when you start compounding those those returns so um that's probably one of the the most well i mean they're all important but that's the one that i would uh, hammer on as well yeah yeah i mean there, there's always going to be a reason that you might want to take something off the table and maybe trim it but it doesn't mean you have to go woo made my sweet return i'm gonna sell it while the business is absolutely firing on all cylinders still it's just kind of don't you know don't interrupt the compounding if you don't have to but sometimes you have to so i mean that's fair Mm -hmm. exactly so i think uh is that it for this episode brayden i think that's it man we're gonna we're giving you we're giving you a sneak peek right now simon and i are about to record another episode because i'm off to whistler tomorrow baby I'm going to be in the mountains for a little bit. So, um, Simon, go go get some coffee and some water. We're uh, going back to back here. All right, that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much. This podcast is growing like crazy. But I noticed that a lot of you guys are still not following it or um, subscribe to it on your podcast player. So if you're, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, oh, that's me, go ahead, subscribe. And it really helps this podcast grow. So we appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.